Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Sixth Sense Media and Service of Change. It's the show that challenges reality, questions at which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change, making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. And that's exactly what we aim to do on this episode of The Seeker Podcast. Special guest, my Sixth Sense Media co-founder and friend Ray Davis will be on the air. Tonight we're going to discuss the censorship of Alex Jones. Will we be next? In addition... We dive deep into analyzing the words of Luis Elizondo in his most recent UFO MUFON briefing. It's a great discussion between Ray and I this evening. You want to pay attention. You're going to want to take notes. We want to hear your feedback. We are in a time right now where a lot is changing. I think that happens all throughout history anyway, but we are living in some exciting times, some scary times if we don't take action and take responsibility. And Ray and I are going to get into that uh, as we move on to the show in a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit of news. First, I have one story that I'm going to share, uh, and then we'll get right to Ray. I'm anxious to get to his content this evening. Been a, uh, a crazy week with weather locally where I live. The, it's just been non. It seems like the month of August. It's been nonstop rain. I have a lot of lakes in the area around me. Everything seems to be flooding. I, I was thinking about going out and building an ark last week because there was just so much rain and flooding going on. Fortunately, my house is dry, but the ground surrounding it is just uh, just a sopping wet mess. It's disgusting. Kids are going stir-crazy. Can't get them outside. And uh, as a result now, the mosquitoes, uh, they're flying around in in, in swarms right now. It's, it's insane. I was outside for 10 minutes yesterday. I think I got 10 bites. Um, it, it, it's nuts uh, with the weather up here. Um, but it just makes me think, you know, make sure you have a plan for an emergency. We've got trees coming down because the ground's too soft. Uh, you know, localized flooding. I know the area that I'm from closer to Philadelphia, they're making rescues in boats because they're having flash floods everywhere. So just, just have that emergency bag packed. So if you need to get out of the house in a minute or less, you can grab your bag and have, uh, some stuff that's going to keep you comfortable and keep you, uh, fed and keep you, uh, under shelter you know, for the next two to three days. Let me jump into the news. I'm excited to get the Ray. I'm just going to do one article tonight. It comes to us from Unknown Country. The article is called Melting Arctic Ice May Cause of uh, May Be Cause of the Drop in Tornadoes. Uh, it might not be a, a quite a case of the flapping of a Brazilian butterfly's wings causing a tornado in Texas, but a team of climate researchers has found a correlation between melting Arctic sea ice and the formation of tornadoes in the United States with fewer tornadoes being reported when northern sea ice is unseasonably low. A relationship between Arctic sea ice and tornadoes in the U.S. may seem unlikely, says study co-author Jeff Trapp, an atmosphere sciences researcher with the University of Illinois at Urbana. But it's hard to ignore the mounting evidence in support of the correlation. Building upon earlier research illustrating that sea ice loss in the Arctic can lead to extreme weather events in certain regions around the world, Trapp, along with Purdue University's Kimberly A., Hugwind wanted to see if these extreme events also extended to tornado activity in the U.S. due to the waning frequency of twister activity there. Uh, 
interesting article goes on. You can read the rest of that. I don't want to steal, I don't want to steal all of their thunder at unknowncountry.com talking about the correlation between melting Arctic sea ice and the tornadoes, the uh, reduction in tornadoes. Climate change is happening. I don't know. I know there's a big debate about it, but the weather is definitely a little bit more wacky. It's a little bit different. Uh, and it's something we need to be mindful of, and it's something we need to prepare for. I'm keeping this first section of the show short intentionally, my friends. I want to get to Ray Davis because uh, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to cover, um, and a lot of that is current events related anyway. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, and bring him on the air. All right, everybody, here we go. I have my Sixth Sense Media co-founder, the author of Anunnaki Awakening, working on book two in the trilogy series, the founder of The Affirmation Spot, the social media guru, and somebody I'm proud to call my friend, Ray Davis. How are you, buddy? Hey, I am good, Dennis. It's good to be back on The Seeker Podcast. It has been too long, my friend. Yeah, it was, uh, I think we were talking off, offline here. I look forward to this podcast every weekend. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an avid listener, and I really encourage everyone out there to listen to this because uh, Dennis is putting some great information out there. I appreciate that, Ray, and, and you helped talk me down off the edge uh, a few times over the past few months. <laughs> and, and comments like that keep me going, you know, and everybody knows I've talked about some of it on the show. Uh, it's just, it's been a challenge, and, and you know, my conspiracy-minded brain goes right to the stuff I talk about, like, oh, the Archons are messing with me through the universe and the Matrix and all that stuff. Uh, so it's nice to get that positive feedback, so I appreciate it. So uh, how's Absolutely. things going with you, Ray? What's, um, you know, what's what's new and exciting in your world? Uh, things are going great. I, I am working on book two. Um, uh, a lot of research going into the second book, um, more than I thought, honestly. So um, I'm... Not as far as long, along as I'd hoped, but I, I still hope to have it out um, hopefully sometime early next year, maybe. We'll see how that goes. But I am going to self-publish this one rather than going through um, a traditional publishing house. So I will have more control over the um, the release date when we get that done. So I'm kind of looking for um, – there's a few more pieces that I need to kind of put together in the story. But uh, overall, I know where I'm going, so I'm really excited about that. And I have been revitalizing the affirmation spot. Uh, that's something that I, you know, started about 11 years ago now, and I'm really trying to um, kind of build that brand back out, I guess, a little bit. I've been doing a lot of uh, daily motivators, not so much the last couple of weeks. I was uh, suffering from a little bit of a cold and didn't have a voice for a while, but uh, I've been trying to do like uh, daily motivators, that kind of thing, a little short, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and a half of something to get people's day off to a good start, and I've been putting those out on my YouTube channel and occasionally on Six Sense Media, so... Those are really kind of the things that I've been focused on and just uh, kind of watching this crazy world go around and see where we are, um, you know, what's going on. And, and uh, you know, they say that we should uh, be glad that we live in interesting times, and we certainly do. It does keep life exciting. And, you know, I, I think that's a perfect segue. I was going to wait until the end of our, our discussion to talk a little bit about affirmations, but let's let's spend some time on it right now real quick. Um, you know, can you just give a, a, a quick overview of, you know, what is an affirmation? What's the, what's the purpose of it? And why, how could I use that to help myself? Yeah, so an affirmation is just a positive thought or statement that you use to try to change the, um, maybe the negative thinking or the negativity that you're encountering every day. I, I kind of look at it like taking vitamins, right? Um, if you don't take your vitamins, then you, um, you are more prone to diseases and things like that. And 
you know, we live in a world that's very negative. If you turn on the TV, go on the internet, there's a lot of really negative things going on out there. And we really have to kind of take our mental vitamins every day. And affirmations are, are really that. So they're just positive statements that, that you use to kind of counter the negative um, thoughts that you may be having in your own head. We all have kind of those little tapes that play in our head. Some mm-hmm. of them are, are things that we planted ourselves. Some of the things, some of them are things that are, you know, came from our parents or something someone said in the third grade. We all have that crazy stuff going around in the back of our head. And really the idea of affirmations is it's just a way to overcome and challenge those thoughts and replace them with something a little bit more positive to kind of help give you a little mental armor to go out into the world and, and, and try to be a positive force rather than letting those negative thoughts spiral you down. I love that description, especially the mental armor. Um, you know, last night I was laying, I think I messaged you, was it like 11 o'clock last night? Hey, you want to be on the show tomorrow? Because I was thinking about, I've, you know, I'm usually really good at paying attention, but like I said, I'm beat up this month and my self-talk has is, is gotten pretty negative. Um, and I, I recognize that. And I think that's why I'm always preaching like, hey, you know, be mindful of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, because we can recognize this stuff. And I thought, well, how can I undo this? I thought, well, Ray, he's got all these affirmations that are out there. I need to start listening to them more regularly than, you know, just when I see it come across my feed or, or I, you know, he posted on our channel. Um, and and I, th- I thought, hey, let's talk a little bit about this on the show for, for people that are out there. So can, can this help somebody if they're dealing with like some hard times and stuff? Do you have specific affirmations for specific challenges maybe that, that people can work with? Absolutely. So there, you know, just not to go too much into this, but to tell my story a little bit, the the way I got into affirmations is uh, when I was 25, I went in the hospital. I was very, very ill, um, really should have died and almost did die. Came out of that situation after about two months in the hospital, broke without a job. Um, You know, life was not, was not a happy place for me at that point. And I had heard of affirmations. I kind of looked into that kind of stuff before. And so I started recording affirmations for myself on cassette tapes at that time. That kind of tells you how long ago this was. But, cassettes, yeah. And I would listen to them all night long over, you know, put them on, on autoplay or on repeat. And I would listen to them all night long. And what I noticed, um, this is where I got into audio affirmations as opposed to just, you know, doing the Stuart Smalley sitting in the mirror mm-hmm. saying, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Um, I, I, I like the audio affirmations because, you know, most of those negative thoughts, like you were talking about a moment ago that we heard from our parents or that right. we heard from our friends or colleagues were things that we heard and, and their thoughts in our head. And I, what I found when I started doing the affirmations that were audio is, is I would go through the day. It was almost like subconscious, like kind of like you learn a, the words to a song. You don't realize you've learned the words and suddenly you start singing it in the car you suddenly, um, when you get the negative thoughts coming into your mind, you'll start suddenly see the positive affirmations that you've been listening to kind of piping up and kind of, um, you know, not shouting them down, but kind of countering them. And, and that's really what you want to do as a starting point. So, yes, it's, it's kind of an incremental process. I mean, if you're really at rock bottom, it's a great tool to start changing your mindset. I'm a big believer that our mindsets have a big impact on the world that we Mm-hmm. Live. That's not to say that, you know, if you've been legitimately victimized in life that, you know, other people don't have a role in that. But we do have a choice about the way we process everything and how we, you know, move on. Do we continue to live in that space or do we move out of that neighborhood and kind of move into a better zone? And that's what affirmations are a great tool to help you um, do that with it, you know, kind of change your mental outlook. Sounds like it's almost like you're installing antiviral software into your mind to protect <laughs> against the negative thoughts. There's my matrix spin. 
That's a great analogy. And, you know, everyone's using affirmations all the time. I can't as an affirmation, too. It's just a negative affirmation, right? I, I can't do that. I can't learn that. I'm no good. Yeah. I mean, we have those things going through our heads. And so we're using affirmations. When people say affirmations don't work, I say, well, they do. You're just probably using negative affirmations. You know, and it makes me, I was going to make that exact comment. Like, over the past month, I started thinking, like, you know, the universe is working against me. The archons are coming. Like, all this stuff was going through my head. And I really started to believe it, and then things started to get worse. And it wasn't until I finally had to ground myself, like, knock it off. Even if they are coming after me, bring it on. I can handle this stuff. Then everything seemed to kind of die off. But, you know, they say that about magic, too. And, when, when, you know, somebody practices witchcraft or voodoo, casts a spell on you, the spell only works if you're believing that that spell has power and influence over you. Um, so I think that ties into a lot of this other stuff that we talk about in the esoteric realms. Well, we all, you know, I think we all agree that words have power, right? And I think mm -hmm. um, most spiritual traditions, whatever their spiritual tradition is, had some version of God spoke the universe into being. Mm -hmm. So really, the spoken word and speaking um, really brought everything into being in, in, in most mythologies, most, most religions around the world. So, um, you know, by us, you know, doing that, we're kind of doing a creative act. We're, we're planting seeds in our own life. Um, because, you know, I think it's uh, Mike Dooley of the universe. There's a guy who's about 15, 18 years now has been sending out to millions of people. He has a huge email list, and he sends out a daily thought. And his his thing is, is thoughts become things. Yeah. And, of course, we've heard that again in every spiritual tradition, something about our thoughts manifest our reality. I mean, Jesus said it, Buddha said it, a lot of people said it. And, you know, I think when you hear something like that over and over again, you have to start taking stock. In it. And I, I can tell you from my own experience, I, I am not by nature just automatically a positive person all the time. Right. Um, I, you know, some of the topics that we'll get into here in a moment, you know, I, I understand that there are challenges on the world and, and I feel those challenges and I can get myself kind of in a, in a bad zone sometimes and affirmations are ways to help get me out of that. And I, I find the most, or not, don't have that automatic positive sending. There's a small percentage of people out there that are just that happy person. That's just right. the way they are, and that's awesome. Most of us aren't really that way. It's more work. We have to kind of swim upstream like salmon, and affirmations are a way to help us do that. I like that, Ray, and I think that's a great defense. And, and you know, you and me, we like you said, we, we we go through those challenging times. And you know, just talking to you right now, in all seriousness, thinking about this, thinking, of, you know, getting that perspective again. I'm already feeling even stronger than I was coming into the show, um, you know, knowing, oh, yeah, I forgot about these tools because everything that we cover on our platform, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe it. I believe we have that power. But sometimes when you're feeling down, you forget about your true power, how to access it. You become distracted and you just want to wallow in, you know, the negativity. So I think the affirmations are a great tool. Um, and I'm going to start using them a little bit more often, hopefully, to get me to the last steps of getting through this funk so with that being said, let's jump into some funk. You know, there's there's two subjects that I, I'd like for us to get into. Um, I'm going to talk about what's going on with, uh, you know, the, the corporate censorship starting with InfoWars. And then uh, hopefully we'll have some time left over and we can talk a little Lou Elizondo and To the Stars and UFOs and ATIP and all that fun stuff um, that I'd like to delve into. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Alex Jones. You know, we know Alex Jones was uh, shut down really, by the establishment. Um, they took everything mm -hmm. down, his Facebook, his uh, Twitter feed, and uh, his YouTube channel. 
Um, obviously, didn't touch his website. They weren't able to get into that because I'm sure that's well protected. You put an article out there. You put a couple articles out there. One specifically addressing Alex Jones. Uh, I, but let's get your thoughts on there. You know, on the air. You know, what's your take on it, Ray? Yeah, so I, I think we're at a really important moment right now, and, and I, I I want everyone to kind of listen to this, not because I'm a guru on this, but I have put a lot of thought about into this topic of free speech over the years. I've written a lot about it for, for many years, and I, I really feel like we're at a moment right now where the system is basically kind of showing their cards and saying, look, if you go against the narrative of what we're trying to put out there, and, and that, that spans everywhere from MSNBC to Fox News. You know, it, it's all of those mainstream outlets that really are kind of selling this mainstream narrative of um, how to describe it. I guess, I guess it's, it's perpetual war, it's perpetual chaos, it's perpetual division. It's, it's all those negative things that they're planning in our minds if we're not protecting ourselves that they're putting out there. Anyone who goes against that narrative is a potential target at this point. And I think that's always been true to an extent, but I think, um, you know, Alex Jones is kind of a lightning rod, right? He's easy to parody. He's easy to criticize because he's, a, he's over the top. And some people don't like his politics. And, mm-hmm. you know, I set all that stuff aside because I think there's a higher principle here at stake. I think freedom of speech is not something that's up for debate. Um, in, in relative to my personal views of someone else's speech. I mean, this is a, a foundation of, of Western civilization that we fought, you know, for several thousand years to reach, and I don't think we should so readily give it away. And in Alex Jones' particular case, again, I, I don't defend everything he says. I don't agree with everything he says, but he has been way ahead of the mainstream media on a number of, of very important topics over the years, and I mean years ahead, where he was talking about things, ironically, things like voter fraud and, and the, the challenges with our election system. I remember back in 2004, 2005, in that time frame, he was talking about those things way before what we've seen the last couple of years. You know, the Iraq War, the Patriot Act, there's just a ton of things that he, he understood and was t- telling his audience about and detailing the challenges with those way ahead of the mainstream media. So for the people that, that don't understand um, where he's coming from, that really haven't listened to him, that only understand him as, uh, you know, the conservative, you know, wacko guy who screams and takes his shirt off, they're really missing the point. He really has delivered a lot of good information to his audience over the years on some really important issues. And I, I think we need voices like that to challenge the status quo. And now is not the time to shut them down, but I think the system is uh, is really collaborating together. The collusion, I would say, yeah. is between the government, the people recently out of government, and these platforms to shut down the free speech of people who are challenging that narrative. So let me ask you this question, Ray, in terms of free speech. You know, obviously freedom of speech, what happens when even the establishment or, or your average citizen looks at that and says, well, I think your free speech is dangerous. I think it's going to incite people to rise up against the government or it's going to incite hate and violence. And, you know, even if you're not saying go out and hurt people, I mean, if he's if he's being careful legally how to choose his words and somebody starts making that argument, is where is that line drawn or is there a line because we want to protect people's freedom of speech? Well, I, I, I would argue that we have, you know, 300 years in this country almost of, of um, 
legal precedent of laws on how you handle that. If someone is committing a crime, there's a way to prosecute someone that's committing a crime. It's a demonstrable crime. If there is someone who's committing libel or or defamation, you can take them to court and sue them, right, and and, and, and get your justice that way. Um, We have rules like you can't go into a theater, right? You know, the old proverbial, you can't yell, you know, fire in a crowded theater house, Right. right? I mean, we have guidelines like that that have been protections both for free speech and also to help, you know, um, people who have been harmed by that speech. But, you know, the way, in my opinion, and I think there's a lot of people across the political spectrum who agree with this, um, but a lot of people who I think haven't thought about this deeply enough to really go here, is that, you know, the way to, to fix speech is to have more free speech. It's to have people who can counter Alex Jones if they don't agree with him or counter, you know, anyone if they don't agree with them, you know, you know, if you, if you don't agree with him, go and build a case for why people shouldn't listen to him. Go and build a case, you know, for why he's bad for society. But that's your free speech, just like that's his free speech. And so I feel like our system has many innate protections already. We don't need to censor people to protect people from speech. That's a great point, Ray. Um, you know, so how are they able to do this then if we have free speech? I know we talked a little bit about this offline. Um, you know, it, it's almost like the government's now corporatizing itself, but there's personalities moving around. I mean, what, in your opinion, is, is actually going on here that, that they're doing this to target them and get them shut down? Well, so we all know that in the First Amendment of the Constitution, government is not allowed to censor speech. And the argument that you're hearing, and it really surprises me that the quarters I'm hearing they're from, you know, because regardless of what your political view is, I mean, we used to kind of have some agreement in our country that what we would call liberals or the left were more for free speech and more for, you know, not letting corporations and the government, you know, control what people do. Basically what we have going on is um, the situation where we're privatizing speech. These platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all these social media platforms have become the town square. So in 1789, or in 1791, when the Constitution was ratified and the First Amendment was put in place, the biggest threat to my free speech was the government coming and pulling me off my soapbox in the town square and saying, you can't do that. Today, the biggest threat is because the town square has moved online onto these platforms. And so when you have congressmen, sitting congresspeople, encouraging these companies to censor people, encouraging these, com- these these companies to take people down, threatening them with regulation and other things if they don't. Um, and then you have these kind of nefarious um, think tank organizations like the Atlantic Council that Facebook back in May announced that they are collaborating with to determine, you know, what's misinformation and that kind of thing on their platform so they can censor it out. Uh, when you look at who the Atlantic Council is, it's basically a who's who of the defense and intelligence communities from really the last five presidential administrations. It's a bipartisan group of people who have given us, you know, kind of the, the failed foreign policies, the failed domestic policies that a lot of people have issues with, and that has really brought up a lot of this citizen journalism. So when you have these organizations, uh, you know, extra governmental groups like that and sitting Congress people telling these companies they need to censor them, who's really censoring? Is it really Facebook or is it really government through Facebook? 
And that brings up a whole host of issues. Not only are we privatizing speech and, and using corporations to limit it, but really, you know, I mean, in the old school, that's fascism, right? Where you have corporations and government colluding together to take rights away, take freedoms away. That's, that's traditional fascism, you know? So I think these are all things we need to really be concerned about. I mean, our freedoms are at risk right now. And it's not a time for us to go to sleep on this or think it's exciting because someone we don't like got got deplatformed. We really need to think about the, the end game here and what is going to happen if we just kind of keep letting this erode and erode and erode. What do you suggest we do about it, Ray? Well, I, my uh, solution and uh, you know how we get this done, I don't know. I, I think the very first thing we should do is we should have some sort of a um, law or I'd like to see some court decisions um, support this idea that the First Amendment applies in these new digital you know, public squares. I mean, mm-hmm. they are the new public square. So my, right. my, my freedom that I got under the First Amendment should, it, should apply in these situations. And again, if I'm telling Byron a crowded you know, theater house or I'm advocating violence against people, there are legal remedies in our system to deal with that. Right, same thing online. If you do threats online, you can get arrested. Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to stop, talk over you. I'm sorry, but it's. I mean, and that does exist online. If you make a threat against somebody online, you you don't have the freedom to do that. You can get in trouble with the law, uh, in the same way. Absolutely. I mean, there there are legal, you know, legal criminal remedies for for that kind of thing. Um, you know, we we spent, you know, like I said, thousands of years getting to a system where we have this right, where government doesn't get to tell us that we can't speak. And we should hold that very sacred, and we should really go the extra mile to protect it. And and remember that there are legal remedies, criminal and legal remedies, to to deal with extreme situations. And, you know, I don't know, maybe Alex Jones has broken some of those, he has crossed some of those boundaries. That's fine. Prosecute him or sue him. Don't take away the free speech. Let's have a debate. Let's show people why we shouldn't listen to him if you believe you shouldn't, or why you should if you believe that you should. But the the way forward, pardon me, is not to deplatform people because that's just going to lead to deplatforming this group, and then it's going to be kind of a right. We took one of them down. You got to take one of them down, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then pretty soon, everyone again who is not subscribing to this this you know corporate narrative, this government narrative. It's going to have their free speech taken away. That's just a very slippery slope that we need to avoid. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they go after one. Alex Jones, in his in one of his articles that he talked about, I was trying to pull it up. I don't have it up yet. Um, they talk. He talked about um, they came for. I think it was out of the Holocaust. You ever heard that? They came first. They came for the Jews, and I, I didn't stand up for them. Then they came for these people. I didn't stand up for them. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to stand up. I know I'm butchering the uh, the, the statement, but are you familiar with that quote? Yeah, it, it was that. Uh, fact that um, we were in Germany about a year and a half ago. We went to Dachau, and that is where um, there was actually a, a minister there um, who spoke out against the Nazis and wound up in there who who, who did that quote. I, I can't remember his name now, but there's actually a chapel on the on the ground now in, in honor of him. But yeah, that was his quote, basically. You know, I said nothing when they came for the Jews. I said nothing when they came for this group. And pretty soon when they came for me, there was no one... No one left to speak no out. No one left to help me, basically. So. Yeah, and, and that's... And they, they referenced that in, in their article when they were kind of explaining everything that was going on. 
Uh, but that's the truth. I mean, right now you may not like Alex Jones. So you're saying, okay, well, I don't really care about him anyway. It doesn't affect me because I don't listen to him. But that's a symbol of if they took him down, then they can start, they can go after anybody. And that's very concerning. That's very scary for me. Um, which, like you said, now is the time to take action. That doesn't mean take up arms and go out in the street. I mean, you know, and start screaming and shouting. But we, we need to get behind, um, you know, sign petitions and, and you know follow these legal cases and, and have a voice and put your voice out there that th- this is unacceptable, uh, and, and use that in your voting power. Right, right to your legislators. Let them know we need to see something that protects this, uh, like you said, as, as the new town square. And it has a chilling effect, right? I mean, because if, uh, I mean, for better or worse, Alex Jones is a lightning rod. Everybody now knows who Alex Jones is. I mean, he's become you know, quite famous in recent years for, for a lot of reasons. And and people feel like if he can get taken down, then I can get taken down. So maybe I better think about what I say because you know, you and I are building a platform that's that's questioning the the mainstream reality, and and you know, it it, it makes all of us think. You know, could I be next if? Uh, if I, if I say the wrong thing or I don't go along with, with, with the party line. And, and, you know, given the way the world is going, I mean, if we look at the results that people who are populating the places like the Atlantic Council have given us in this world, um, do we really think they should be the guardians of and determiners of who gets free speech and who gets to, to have a say? I, I don't think so. No, that's uh, I, I completely agree. I, I mean, it should be a, a uh, representation of the people that are having the say over this. I mean, that's how it was designed when the Constitution was created. Um, but it, it's gotten away from that because now we're getting these career people who are, you know, these career politicians and bloodlines and families, and they're making all these policies that don't serve the people anymore. They serve the corporation and, and the you know the elite and the people in charge, and it's unfortunate. Well, and we don't have you know again. We used to have, I think that's always been somewhat the case, but at least we used to have a mainstream media at some point, you know, decades ago now, that that would call that out. You, know, you think of the famous Edward R. Murrow, you know, you know, goodbye and, or good, goodbye and good luck speech, right, that he gave, you know, during the McCarthy thing. I mean, media stood up for the people, stood right. up for principles at that time. Now the media is the is the cheerleader and the PR, and, and then they wonder why, there's all these alternative voices out there, and why, why they have such a big following? It's because people can turn into C, tune into CNN or Fox or MSNBC or read the New York Times, and they know they're not getting the straight and the straight the straight story on things because they've seen now from you know example after example where they're misled, and mm-hmm. you know ten years later they go, oh sorry, we we got the Iraq War wrong, right? We messed up. Sorry about that. Well, it's a little late at that point, you know. And people like Alex Jones, a lot of other people, not just him. We're right on that at the time, in real time. And we need people who do that. And if you shut those people down, there's no one there to tell you that anymore. So then, you know, and this has been things that I've talked about for a while. As a consumer, then, my suggestion is when you have these news programs who are consistently putting out that bad information, why do you keep watching them? And maybe it's the, you know, the I can't look away syndrome where you see something terrible going on, you want to watch it. But at the same time, that's boosting their ratings. That's supporting their advertisers. I mean, you gotta you gotta boycott. You gotta cut them off. If these are these companies that we know that are corrupt, they're poor journalism, and, and they're contributing to the problem. Stop watching them. And it's easier said than done because, well, I still want to know what the establishment is putting out. But we have to find some way to, you know, really go after their funding. And that's by not supporting their spot. Maybe that's it. Don't support their sponsors. Well, the other thing, and that's that's a great point. You know, I think um, 
you know, the other thing we can do is if we are going to watch, I mean, you and I watch it because mm-hmm. we want to understand what they're saying, right? We have to do that so we can critique, you know, what we're hearing, but right. you have to look at things with a critical eye. I mean, when they're selling you another regime change war, I mean, why, why is there always one? There's another one and there's another one. There's always another regime you've got to change somewhere. You know, they're constantly selling this stuff. And this, again, this isn't Fox versus CNN. This is Fox and CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post. They're all constantly selling us the fact that we've, and, and what they're doing is they're justifying why we have a trillion dollar annual budget on our military and can't give people health care and education in our country. That's really what, you know, what, what the issue is. So it's, it's, you know, that what the Romans had back in the day, they built a lot of coliseums, including the famous one we all know now, mm-hmm. to have kind of these spectacles during the day because they had large, large groups of people who were unemployed and had nothing to do. And they were worried that they might, so they gave them what was called bread and services during the day to keep them occupied. And I feel like that's kind of what these media outlets are doing today. Same playbook, basically. Just new technology. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think, you know, knowledge is power, and uh, I think we have an understanding of that. We don't have all the answers right now, but I think being informed about that, I think you raise a lot of good points on this, Ray. I want to move us uh, to another topic, unless you have anything else you want to add on this, but I'd like to move to the UFO stuff so we uh, don't run out of time tonight. Any other comments yeah, on this thread here? No, I, I think I think I said what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, and, and you did quite the good job on that as well, Ray. And and uh, Ray has two articles relevant to this up at SixthSenseMedia.net. I'll direct you guys to that. It'll be in the show notes and in the uh, secret newsletter this week when it comes out. Please check them out. Um, you know, very well thought out, very well written articles by Ray um, that you're going to want to read and please share. I hate to try to give all those plugs, but we have to share, share, share to spread the word. Let's move on. Uh, Ray sent me a video. It was a couple nights ago. Um, I got through most of it already on uh, Lou Elizondo. He's, he met at a uh, MUFON conference and uh, he was giving a, a talk about, I guess, kind of a briefing on everything that's been going on with To The Stars and with the A-Tip uh, and where that's come from. And uh, like I said, I got through most of it and I, I have a whole bunch of mixed feelings on it. I think it was a, a good presentation by Elizondo. Keep in mind, the guy's a, a career counterintelligence guy. I also felt like he was um, trying to gain the trust and support of the MUFON community, where we haven't seen this yet. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, but before it was kind of, and I think they even said, or somebody doing an analysis said, they're not really concerned about the UFO community right now. They're they're not pandering to them. And on here, yeah, Tom DeLong said that. Yeah, it was Tom DeLong said that. The problem with the UFO community doesn't care about us, so we don't really care about them necessarily. I think we're something to that effect. And I think they've kind of been doing damage control from Tom DeLonge because I don't think he's, <laughs> he says the, the right things and he tends to engage on a level where it's like, how are you in this position, buddy? But I really felt like one of Elizondo's objectives was to say, hey, MUFON, we, we need you and we want you to be involved in this. And I, I'm not quite sure why or what his angle is, but did, did you get that vibe from him as well? I, I did. I, I, I do think they're doing damage control. I do think he's trying to reach out at all grants. And, and again, I, I support anything that brings us all together so we can march forward on this topic. So I'm not really about, you know, saying, oh, we're not going to, you know, they said some things that I didn't like or whatever, so I'm not going to go all of them. So I, I do think he was trying to do that. I agree. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be, I want to be critical just because, you know, <laughs> as, as people interested in this field, we've been lied to there's been deception for so long but i am excited about what he's saying and, and this is my own internal bias just going don't trust it don't trust it but 
he, he did have a lot of, of things in there where, well, they are, at the end of the day, we are getting some information out of this. We are getting information that we've never had in this type of format before. And, and I appreciate that. And I like that. And I, and I support that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lots of different, I, t- I took a whole bunch of notes in there. I'm, I'm trying to look here. Um, you know, one of the neat things was he gave credibility, he gave the nod to Nick Pope. Uh, you know, and he said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, with what he did this first, you, you know, and that coming from a guy like Lou Elizondo, who a lot of us are saying, well, he's a credible guy. I mean, given his background, that just, I think, lends more credibility to what Nick Pope has been working on, you know, over in, in his country with the you know disclosure efforts he's been brought forth. Absolutely. So what are your what are your overall thoughts on uh, on that recent discussion that he had, Ray? Um, so I, I, I think everything we just said, you know, I, I agree with. I mean, I think that they are trying to, to, to reach out the olive branch and try to bring the community back together. Um, I think he is sharing a lot of information that we have never heard before. I think he's saying things that we've never heard anybody in a position like he was in, you know, come out and say openly. I, I, I feel like, and this is my own bias, I will admit it, I, I, I'm an open, transparent you know, I want transparency. And I feel like I've even posted this a couple of times that, that, that partial disclosure is still partial cover-up. And so I, I feel like um, there were a lot of things. There's a, there was a long Q&A for those of you who have not watched the video. And I do really encourage you to go watch it, but it's about a little bit, a little bit an hour, I think, an hour and a half, something like that. And he does a keynote, he does a keynote speech, and then there's a Q&A section. And I, and I still feel then it's like, Maybe this is just his background, his training, and, and it's hard for him to break his own mode. But um, I still feel like he, does, he gives a lot of, um, he can't give a straight yes or no answer to so many questions. Yes. He, and, and he did that quite a like, bit in the Q&A. Yeah. You know, and, it, and I feel like while I, while I get that there are, you know, uh, criminal aspects to, you know, breaking, you know, your oaths of secrecy and, 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 and certainly an honorable sense in which you keep secrets that you are sworn to keep, I, I, I feel like he's still trying to straddle the line between that and whistleblower. And I feel like almost, and I hate to say this, but I almost feel like you, you kind of got to choose a side. Right. I mean, either you're on board with disclosure and you're going to share everything you know and let the chips fall where they may, and, you know, if you have to claim whistleblower status, although it doesn't get you very far in America always today, you know, you can have, you know, Julian Assange or some other people, I guess. But but I, I think this he's still trying to straddle both worlds a little bit. And, and that concerns me because I feel like uh, in doing that, he's still participating partly in a cover-up, even while he is sharing good information that we didn't have before. You know, you raise a good point, Ray, and, and uh, I'm going to fall back on my experience uh, with counter-intel. And it does not compare at all to Lou Elizondo. He has many, many more years in operations and missions, um, you know, ahead of me, you know, so I'm not trying to compare myself and my experience to him. But the thought process of counterintelligence, you want everybody to think you're their friend because you never know when you're going to need a favor or you're going to need information. And, and I feel that, you know, as you're saying that, I feel that even in like doing my show or my interactions with people, even people that really drive me crazy in business. I try to still maintain that neutrality or that appearance of neutrality. Even if in my head, I'm really cursing this person out and can't wait to get away from them. 
you know, and I think about that with listeners out there. I don't want to turn anybody off. I, I don't want to be confrontational like that, even though I know that tends to catch more people's attention when you can have that drama. And I think that's my counterintelligence brain because you never know when you're going to need a favor. You're going to want somebody, you know, to help you out or, or, or whatever be in your corner. And, and so the way he answers to me is saying, well, yeah, he doesn't want to make anybody angry. He wants to stay He's playing both sides, and I think that's just so ingrained in him from the amount of time he's done that. I'm not defending it. I just I understand it. Yeah, and I I, I think that's um, fair. You know, I, I think that training like that is hard to overcome, and I think it's probably just part of his makeup. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I I watch it, and I and I'm like, just just give me yes or no, right? And right. that's what I want. And I think some of the even some of the questioners were kind of a little frustrated that he wouldn't. Right. No, um, and, and I get it because, you know, the, the difference is, and I, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I, I, this is how my brain works. Um, is I would probably answer questions very similarly, but at the same time, he made the choice to go public with this. So you're in it now. So I, I agree with you. You need to give a little more. You need to stop straddling the fence. And then he, like, he made the promise next year, we're going to be having a very different conversation than we are right now. He made that statement, which is like, oh, wow, what are we going to get? Well, he gave you a hook right there. Now he's sucked you in again, and and maybe this is going to look different in a year. But at the same time, I, he's still playing the game. He's still teasing us with stuff, and I don't I don't appreciate that. I, I've noticed something else that, that's related to, to you know, Elizondo and, and CTSA as well, and that is that... Um, and, and again, I, I don't really have an, an, an opinion. I do have an opinion, but I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other on this space force. I think I'm not for militarizing space. Um, right. But there was an article this week. I think I had shared on our social media thing about where some State Department person at a meeting in Europe somewhere had had done the Russia, Russia, Russia thing again. Where there's this mysterious satellite that's not operating the way a satellite normally operates, and we think it might be some sort of an advanced weapon. And We've got to militarize, you know, space, and I was kind of laughing because that's the same formula they use to sell us the wars and, yep. and everything else, right? There's a threat, be right. afraid. We've got to got to do something, but but I've noticed that a lot of the the people who are very strong advocates for TPSA out there are have suddenly become very big fans of this idea of the space force, right. and you know, I'm all for a space force that's like Captain Kirk. I'm not all for a space force that's like General Patton, kind of, you know. Um, right. Uh, and, and that's and what Edgar Mitchell warned against. There, but I, I feel like there's kind of this groundswell at the same time they're saying stuff like, well, you know, in a year you'll be, we'll be having a different conversation. And he did talk about a lot about the fact that um, in his talk that, you know, you know, basically since we don't know what it is, we have to assume a defensive posture mm-hmm. or an offensive posture yes. in a way. And, and I feel like we're kind of being, you know, maneuvered. Not, not to say there's not legitimacy to that. I, I, and again, we don't know what we're dealing with, and we should probably be smart about it. But at the same time, I feel like we're kind of being maneuvered into this, you know, space military race kind of thing, and and that feels like a really bad idea. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, we are being set up, and you want to talk about people that had you know the foresight to see ahead of them. You know, Bill Cooper was around before Alex Jones was. And he was the mm-hmm. one that, that warned about everything we're seeing right now. I mean, you know, and, and I've covered this a few times. I didn't believe it, but even in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, 
he predicted there were going to be school shootings, and he went through and detailed how that's going to happen because they want to come after guns, and that ended up. I, I didn't. I had to. I went back and reread it uh, right after the most recent. Uh, what was that big one this year? Anyway, the most recent school shooting. My point is, Bill Cooper was saying they're going to stage an alien invasion, a UFO invasion. And right now, I think we're almost at a point where, you know, they're getting the idea out there, hey, UFOs exist, they're not us, and we want to form a space force. Yeah, let's laugh, let's make fun of it. Oh my gosh, we're under attack by some kind of strange craft. We need the space force now. We're being set up for that. Not that it's going to happen, but I do see the uh, the chess pieces being put into place for it. And I believe Cooper's source on that, if I recall, was was someone who had been in intelligence. Of course, mm-hmm. he didn't name the person, but it was you know I think he I think he was the one that coined the phrase Project Blue Beam related to that, right? That there would be a fake, kind of a false flag alien you know invasion scenario yes. where they would say, well, you know we we don't have a choice anymore. The aliens are making us do this now, and basically would be a way to usher in kind of what, what we would have pejoratively called kind of the new world order, right? I mean, it's. And, it's yeah, no longer, you know, our power is saying, and now the aliens are making us do it. We have no choice. So, and he went over. He he went even deeper into that. And this this stuff, I'm I'm seeing this in my research, and you know everything that I talk about now. He even talked about did they call it the God Voice technology? Have you heard about that? Yes. And, yeah. And, and, there's been Jesse Ventura did a, a conspiracy theory show about that a number of years ago about the voice of God and that technology. Mm-hmm. And. and, and you know, I, w- I was saying it two or three shows ago, you know, pay attention to your thoughts. How do you know that they're your own? Um, they have the case. I mean, if, if you understand, and I don't understand all of it, but I know that basically it's just electromagnetic signals that are running through, your, you know, your body. You can hack that. You can put those signals in there to, to perceive a sound or a thought. It's it's out there and exists. So Cooper said that stuff's going to come into play as well. Um it's concerning, and, and when we start seeing these interfaces now between the internet and our waking reality and our minds, you have to wonder what's going on. What's the bigger plan? And I know we're kind of getting away from Elizondo stuff. But I thought it was relevant to at least address that. But I want to I want to bring us back to to Lou Elizondo. So we didn't get too too far sidetracked because you know how I like to go on tangents. Um, but some of the things, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, some of the things he said that. Um, that also caught my attention. He said in, in 2008 and 2009, they were collecting so much intel, they were overwhelmed with data, and Congress was aware of it. So that means there's, and that's just within the Department of Defense, U.S. Mm-hmm. military personnel. He's saying there were so many sightings, legitimate sightings, that they were overwhelmed with the amount of data that they were collecting. But he said that the people in the government, their religious beliefs contradicted the data that was collected. So therefore, they were putting up a whole bunch of different roadblocks and stopping blocks and stuff. And, and and that, I think, is a big problem. We do have people in charge whose religion just gets in the way. And, and I'm not knocking religion, but you can't let it dictate government policy. And it sounds like that's what was, part of what was happening in this investigation. Yeah, that's, and that's come up with him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the other folks... Uh, uh, maybe put off, and some other folks have mentioned that in, in their interviews, Eric Davis as well, and that there are people in the government who have those views. You know, it kind of gets to the the question of, of if they aren't us, who are they, right? And and I think that well, um, you know, there are a number of different possibilities. They could be extraterrestrial. They could be an advanced native Earth civilization mm-hmm. that we aren't aware of that's still here. They could be extra dimensional. They could be right. supernatural. 
Right. And I think for a lot of religious people, the assumption is that um, they're supernatural and they must be negative, like demons or something like that, right? Yes. And, and that kind of thing. And that, you know, you're right. That that can kind of cloud, if you believe that about what they are, and you could be right or wrong about that. I mean, that's either possible. But if you don't let that, if you let that drive the policy, one, we don't talk about the topic, which doesn't do any of us any good, and two, we might not go about it in the smartest way. So I think right. we should consider all possibilities, obviously. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's a challenge that there are people in the government who have those views who are blocking, you know, full disclosure and, and discussion about this. And, you know, this, I think, is interesting. You know, he said it a couple times. They were worried about the what, the how, and the why. And he flat out said, we weren't worried about the who. And I found that, I don't know if I find that odd, and maybe that's a, there's a strategic purpose because of the religious opposition that they were meeting, that they didn't explore the who. But that's a question that he won't answer. He said he has his opinions on, on who he thinks it is, but he won't answer it publicly. You, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Ray? Why, why don't you think they explored who's behind these craft? Um, so I think it's a mix. I mean, anyone who's spent any time in, in the corporate world, as I have, who has dealt with politics in a corporate environment, which is far less, I'm sure, than a topic like this in a place like the Pentagon. You know, you know you have to kind of play a game sometimes, right? And if you know you have people out there who have those sorts of views and that, that uh, going down the road of the who is going to get you shut down or right. or get you in the, in the problems, you, you might steer clear of that. I do find it a little hard to believe that there's no curiosity at any point about wondering the who. Now, right. I think... From Alessandro's standpoint, again, career soldier, career intelligence guy, I, I think, um, and very similar to what, we, you know, what, what Colonel Corso, I think, in, in his book, you know, yes. did is that he had a job to do, right? And his job was to figure out what this was and how could we defend against it, basically, or how could we deal with it somehow effectively or understand it. Or, or even, I think he talked about a couple times about that we're pretty, he even said in this talk that we're pretty close to figuring out technology here and reverse engineering some of this and You're reading my mind. being able yes. to use it in our own defense. Yeah, he said so in 25 years we'll have it. Yeah, yeah. So not in that distant or future. So I, I think there's a chance that people like him are just about their job every day doing their job and their job is to figure out. I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's sort of green men or who it is. I mean, we've got to figure out, we've got a job to figure out who the witness is and how we can deal with it, right? And I think there's a, a part of that in that answer as well. So I, you know, I don't, I don't really criticize him for that. I, I do think that it's hard to believe that there was no curiosity about who they are, though. Right, and, and I'm sure, and I think there was curiosity. I mean, he says he had his, he said he has his opinions on on who it is, but he wasn't going to share it publicly. Um, and if they don't have hard data on that, I can respect him for not sharing that. But it doesn't mean I don't want to know what the guy thinks. You know, yeah, you know, but I, I think. Uh, this is where I would like to see him kind of not straddle out that line so much. If if he's kind of gone the road he's gone, I think it's okay for him. He's not in the Pentagon anymore. He doesn't have to answer to those people anymore. I think I think he should, if he has views based on what he knows, even if he can't tell us all the reasons he thinks that, I think he should feel more free to speculate on those sorts of things. And say, look, we don't have conclusive data yet, but here's what, where the evidence is leaning and, you know, based on what I think. Now, maybe he doesn't want to tilt the table for whatever reason, um, you know, right. I, and I could see that. But I, I, I wish <laughs> to my to my core that he would feel a little more free to kind of expound on those sorts of things. 
I suspect it's uh, strategic in nature. I, whatever the the long game is here, there's a reason why he's not saying what you know is in his opinions are on that. I, I think I think that's a calculated decision on his behalf. And, and you know, and, and you brought up Nick Pope earlier, you know, and I mean, Nick has faced some of the same challenges, you know, for for many more years now than mm-hmm. than Elizondo is just getting into, and that is that some people still don't trust everything he says because they think he's still kind of in the intelligence game a little bit too. Right. And right. I mean, you, know, you brought up, we brought up project blue beam a little while ago. And, you know, when you look at, you step back and look at the whole picture, you can see what, you know, Elizondo TTSA and, and ATIP and all this. I mean, you see how it could fit into a project blue beam type of scenario and, and the unwillingness to kind of be forthcoming with information could be, a reason why and it does give you know when you're not transparent it gives people a reason to mistrust that's human nature and i think it's fair especially in a, when you're in a situation where you have been misled and lied to for decades mm-hmm. you know so i think it's i think what he's doing may be totally legitimate but i think it's also legitimate sitting in our chair to, to question that i agree and especially i mean he went and he talked about it. he said you know everything that they were doing was foia exempt uh, and, and the term he uses is adversary, to keep it from an adversary. He says, you know, the government doesn't want to hide things from the American people, which uh, that was a tough pill for me to swallow when he said that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so he, he's really selling it hard there. And, I, and I'm going, I don't know about that. He says, I wish we had a way to tell all uh, every single U.S. citizen of what we were doing if we could guarantee that it wouldn't fall into an adversary's hands. I, I just didn't buy into that. Um, but the fact that it was FOIA exempt, you, you know, if, if these things are... Are, are extraterrestrial. I don't know, and I'll defer to somebody with more experience than me, but what harm would it do by us collecting information saying, yep, there's extraterrestrials here. We don't know what they're doing. How can that be harmful to the U.S. government by acknowledging that we recognize they exist? I mean, other countries recognize they exist, so I, I don't fully get it, but I also don't have all the pieces in front of me. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about that a little bit, and, and, and I think, you know, because, you know, in my perfect world, and I, and I realize we're a long way from this, but <clears throat> I would like to see, you know, Europe and the United States and Russia and China and, and the major players in this world who all probably have their own dossiers of, of information about this topic work together to figure out what this is together. And I think the reason that it's not is because I think... <laughs> Pardon me. Sorry about the cough tonight. That's okay. Um, I, I think there's still a game afoot where the game still is that they're all hoping they can glean something militarily that will give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what keeps this this whole secrecy thing going on all fronts and and prevents us from working together to figure out what this is because it, it affects every single person on this planet, whatever it is. And I think to, to, to use this experience I, I'm going to say that's an excuse. When, when this is, you know, this gets broader beyond UFOs and the whole intelligence thing about well, we we hide things from the American people, not because we want to hide them from the American people, but because we got it from from our adversaries. That's that's an excuse. There's a lot of times where it really is also to hide it from the American people. But right. but I think there's a military game being played here where everyone's trying to glean this technology to gain an advantage in the in the you know geopolitical situation and and i think that's a very long-headed approach to this but i think that's still going on you know colonel corso did address that and he he was under the impression that 
although they were protecting stuff from the KGB, he said it was the spies who were the ones that were able to prevent the wars from happening. It was the politicians that were messing everything up, but the spies were the ones with all the information who were actually kind of manipulating the system to prevent us from going to war, both working to try to figure out what these craft were and where these beings were coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of which, somebody did ask Elizondo the Roswell question. He did a good job of dancing around that. Um, I, I think he gave us a little bit in, in saying, you know, if I was investigating it, he basically said, I didn't investigate it. I don't know anything about it. But he says, I would look at, um, you know, various indicators to tell me what type of uh, craft it was that they recovered. Did, he said, did they have, did they respond in Jeeps or did they respond with flatbeds? Because you don't need a flatbed for a Mylar balloon. Was it a staff sergeant on the scene? Was it a major? Was it a, was it a colonel? Because that's going to tell you how serious the incident was. So he gave a whole bunch of different investigative leads that he would follow. But then he said, but I didn't really investigate it. I wish somebody from MUFON would have specifically asked about Colonel Corso's findings in his book. They didn't go that far into it. Um, I would love to hear Elizondo's response to that, but I'm sure he would have danced around it anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because at first, you remember the first few interviews that, that Elizondo did, um, he, he claimed that he had never really read much on the topic and that he had to, he'd really actually tried to stay away from any of the lore or information right. that was out there about the topic because he didn't want to taint the work he was doing. And and yet now he he tends to kind of speak on these topics a little more, but then he kind of, like you say, kind of dances around you know, um, what he might know or not know or what his assumptions are about certain, you know, key events like that, that that we all would want to know about for sure. So I feel like like there's kind of been an evolution in his explanation in a way of of these things. Now he seems to say, well, I do know about them, but I, you know, didn't admit it before. But he even (laughs) said, I mean, he admitted, you know, in this discussion that they were looking at MUFON data, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to get an understanding of of effects and, and what people were reporting um, so, you know, he, he said it right there. And then he made the comment, this conversation has moved from the fringe to the mainstream. And something about that just, I, I don't know, Ray, it bothered me. I mean, it, I, it's an attaboy and it, it's got to make people feel good. And maybe that's why it's concerning me. It almost seems like, you know, what what are you buttering these all of us up for when you make a statement like that? Yeah, I mean, what you kind of gushed on about how important MUFON is yes. and how you guys are doing the real work out there, you know, we're just, we're, we're just, you know, riding on your coattails kind of, and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, which is interesting. But, but again, it kind of provides them because I, when I hear him say that, I, again, I, 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 and if we talked about this before too, I, I don't know how, um, isolated ATIP was relative to all the other things that yeah. have been and are going on in the government related to this topic and how much they really know about things outside their scope. But I think that, um, you know, he, he does, um, when he says stuff like that, it kind of makes you feel, at least certainly during those 10 years, but I, I feel like maybe even beyond that, that they are paying attention to this thing. And that's been the, the age-old claim from the government that we don't, we don't care anymore. This, is, this right. has been a subtle issue. We don't care. And obviously, he's, he's kind of getting hints that that's not the case, that we are paying attention to what MUFON and other groups are doing. So. Right, which, you know, it's a fine line because technically they're not supposed to collect intelligence on U.S. persons. And I mean, well, at least pre-9-11 they weren't anyway, and things have changed since then. But I don't know if that's necessarily collecting intelligence on people. It's just gathering the data that U.S. citizens are putting out. 
Um, you know, but he also, I think, tipped his hat a little bit or uh, showed his hand a little bit by, you know, he says, you know, the DOD can't engage the public. MUFON can. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what he's setting MUFON up for because MUFON has quite the reach. And MUFON has, if, if you remember when they first launched To the Stars, one of the things they said they were going to develop and release was an app that's going to, in real time, identify UFO sightings and alert your phones immediately so you can go out and try to get video of it. But it's also going to alert, uh, I'm sure, everybody that has that app in that vicinity. So then investigators will get that alert. Hey, these 50 people were in the area. Let's go interview them. Let's go talk to them. Let's go. Let's dump their phones without them knowing about it. Uh, so I, I think that's where it's going. And I think they want to get their hands in MUFON because MUFON does have that reach to the public who trusts MUFON more than they trust ATIP. Um, so I, I, I'd be cautious and, and pay attention to where the, how that relationship develops and are they going to give them access to the database, you know, MUFON to, to the stars. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I think we can't, again, nothing wrong with this, right? I mean, but but TTSA is a business. They're a company. They're mm-hmm. a publicly traded corporation, right? So, I mean, they're trying to do business here. And to your point, I mean, MUFON could, could, could help them a lot. So he's also kind of fostering, I think, you know, a business relationship in a right. way by kind of doing that and kind of greasing the skits for that kind of a, a negotiation, like you say, to use that data to maybe build an app like that or other, or other tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and speaking of uh, you know apps and cell phones, you know this one disturbed me the most. Um, a guy from Canada got up and he asked a question. He says there was a triangle craft sighting, you know, a, a couple of years ago, and um, I don't know if it was his friend or whatever. He says, but he the, the person who recorded this crystal clear video called the army and told them what he had. And he says when he got off the phone, he couldn't access his phone for about an hour. And when he regained uh-huh. access of the phone, the picture was now blurry. It was still a decent picture, but the picture had been you know, considerably blurred out. And Elizondo said, it's unusual, um, but he never said it's impossible. He, he did not once say, we can't do that, we don't do that. He he completely danced around it and just said, it's unusual. I don't think NORAD would be involved in something like that. He never said, yeah, I don't think the government would step in and hack your phones. I mean, that which I suspect they obviously can and did do in this situation. But that that just scared me, knowing how deep this goes. If you get something like that in reality, get it off your phone. Get it off your phone. Get it onto a flash drive that uh, you keep in a secure location before you tell anybody what you have. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he did dance there with the NORAD thing because the NORAD would have brought the U.S. military into the picture mm-hmm. as well, and he, he definitely wanted to. But his final out in that conversation was to say, you need to take it up with the Canadian government. I don't know. Yes. You know? Yep. So. He, he danced around quite a bit on that one, but that the I, th- I take that as an acknowledgement that Yep, he's aware that cell phones get hacked like that and data gets manipulated, which we already knew through Snowden and through WikiLeaks and stuff anyway, but just scary to hear it's still going on. Well, that's scary at that level, right, that they could even know that you would have something like that on your device that quickly. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, again, we always hear that, that, that real technology is, you know, decades ahead of what we actually know, and what we actually know is pretty amazing right now. So what they actually can do probably is, is well beyond that. He was going in talking about, somebody asked him, a physicist got up and asked him about some of the tech 
And Elizondo had a decent explanation on it. And he says, you know, basically on, in the laboratory setting, we can bend space-time. He says, that's not theoretical anymore. That's not science fiction. We can do that in the laboratory setting. We understand how these craft work on the quantum level. Um, and he started talking basically relativity stuff and how time changes um, relative to the mass of an object. Um, that was pretty powerful testimony to hear him say uh, of what they're probably sitting on. Yeah, that, that was, I, I have to give him credit on that one. That, that was putting the, the tense a little bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, he was basically saying, you know, without saying that, look, um, we figured a lot of this out and really, we maybe haven't figured out how to make it applicable yet, but we understand how it works and we're that far along and we can do that. Now, Now again, you know, we, we, we have to again put this in this broader context. And again, I don't know how much of this he knows about, but I've had other whistleblowers, you know, who, who talk about this breakaway space program where we're, you know, going to other places and things like that. And, right. and it kind of makes you wonder if, if even by saying, well, yeah, we've kind of almost done that, but we haven't applied it yet, you know, if that's even kind of a cover for the fact that, yeah, we really have in the background, we are already doing this stuff, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Now my conspiracy brain is going. I mean, you know, Dr. Greer obviously talks about, you know, the secret space program and the craft that the government has or, the you know, the black government. Um, and, and David Wilcock and, and Corey Good talk about it quite extensively. You know, we don't know where Elizondo falls. Maybe he is really in the dark about all this stuff. Maybe he's another faction saying, hey, guys, we're about to get that technology to match what you're doing. Or maybe he's just the front man to slowly introduce this technology that already exists, but they need a way to introduce it to the public. Well, if it's the latter, you know, it kind of makes sense. But but, but I feel like as he's doing it, he's, he's doing a lot of pump on the brakes, too, and, and a lot of promise in future, future what's going to happen in the future. But, mm-hmm. but to an extent, you know... <clears throat> It kind of diffuses the issue, right? It's like politics, right? I mean, where you you diffuse an issue by making it appear that you're going to do something about it, and then people go, oh, okay, but well, they're going to do something about that, and then everybody goes home, right? Right. And, and I feel like, in a way, whether he's doing that intentionally or not, I, I can't say. I can't you know, speak to the man's intentions. But if he is there to kind of be that agent to kind of slowly reveal this stuff, I feel like there is some of that going on, kind of to stretching this out, you know, we're not going to give it all to you at once. And, and, and I think, you know, I think Tom DeLong and other people in this group have, have kind of said, you know, we, if we gave it to you all at once, it would be such a mind blower that, right. you know, you would, you know, so there's that aspect of it, but there's also the aspect of just let's stretch this out because, you know, we're not really ready to reveal this shit, but let's give them the appearance that we're kind of revealing some of this. And, and, you know, that's where when he straddles the line, I can't figure out which team he's on. And, I want to believe that he's he's on the disclosure team. He's on the let's be open team. I'm like, okay, even if he doesn't break his his his, his oaths, I want to believe that. But when I hear those sorts of things, that subtext, it, it's hard for me to to not wonder. It's it's the same line we've been hearing for years. You know, you can't handle the truth. We're not able to handle it. Um, you know, Linda Moulton Howe's been against that statement for, you know, her entire career, as she's saying, I think we absolutely are ready to handle these things. You know, he did make one point where he was saying, you know, there's pe- the people who read this in the Post, um, you know, this is the first time they've ever heard or thought or considered something like this. Um, mm-hmm. 
so I guess there would be a bit of that shock factor for some people out there, but there's so many other people out there who I just don't like him saying, I have the information and I'm deciding what's best for you. Well, I don't need you to decide what's best for me. There's so many of us that could benefit from this information. The people will catch up. People are resilient, I think, if you present it properly. You know, Dennis, you kind of you just kind of tie back to our previous discussion earlier in the show mm-hmm. here. Of there's a pattern here, right? There's this paternal sense that I'm going to protect you from information, whether it's what Alex Jones says on social media or it's this topic. It's we're going to decide what you're ready to know, and we're going to decide what it's okay for you to hear and think about, and what you know what can be. I just feel like there's a kind of a pattern here, and, and that kind of frustrates me and, and concerns me all at the same time. Me too, Ray. Again, they're 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 coming from the playbook, you know. And I think I think we need to let history speak for itself on that one. We've seen it before; we're seeing it again. Proceed with caution. I think there, there's obviously more to the story. Um, we don't know where we stand with Elizondo at this point because he's still obviously playing the game. Uh, I think more stuff is going to come out, and I think we will benefit from it. But to everybody out there listening, I say proceed with caution, do your own research. Um, and no matter what they reveal, no matter how fantastic it is, take a step back and say, all right, what's the angle here? Who's benefiting from this? How could this be some kind of deception to get me to do xyz you know if i'm looking they want me to look over here let me look in the opposite direction first before i go follow the crowd i think given our, our current um global environment that's that's good advice on almost any topic these days isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely right ray and uh you know we are we are coming up uh, on the end of the show so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to you for any final thoughts that you have um, you know, to kind of close us up on uh, freedom of speech, UFOs, ATIP, affirmations, anything you want. What do you got for me? Well, I, I just want to say this to everybody that, you know, first of all, despite these challenges that we talked about tonight, and we talked about the affirmations and kind of that mental armor that we can equip ourselves with, you know, we need to have empowered mindsets. We need to have strong critical thinking skills because there is deception out there and we really have to be um, good consumers of information to try to make, you know, kind of triangulate the truth on this. So what I would say is don't get down. Don't, don't let them, because one of the ways you lose is, is you get to become convinced there's nothing you can do. Right. And, and I do really believe that there is something we can do about all this. And it starts with changing the way we think about the world, the way we think about each other. And we don't have to wait for, you know, orders from headquarters, so to speak, for us to change the world in, in the way we interact with it every day. And we can all start having an effect by doing that. Mm-hmm. As for these issues we talked about tonight, you know, I mean, I think it's just, it's critical, as we said right at the end there, that, you know, we, we just need to look at everything and understand that there, there, there are angles. That's not meaning that we impugn people. But there are reasons why things are happening the way they're happening, and there is this attempt to try to create a a, a consensus narrative where no voices outside of that are allowed. And I know Dennis and I are are very committed to growing our platform, Six Sense Media, in a way that um, we want to be one of those people that you know, one of those um, um, you know voices you can trust, the ones kind of challenging that. (laughs) Yeah challenging that situation enough so but well, we want to do it in a compassionate loving way and mm-hmm. not in an angry way and 
and I think, you know, it's just really important for people to really think about the fact that, you know, the world is the way it is because of what the thoughts we thought individually and collectively. And if we want a different tomorrow, we have to think in a different way. So that's kind of what I would leave everybody with tonight. Very well said, Ray. How can, uh, how can people find you? I know, I, I mean, I plug it all the time every week, but give us uh, what you're working on and how people can track you down for your, for your content and stuff. Uh, well, obviously at uh, sixcentsmedia.net, um, I post you know a lot of blogs, videos, or that sort of thing. I do have a YouTube channel, a couple of them actually, from the Affirmation Spot and uh, Anunnaki Awakening, and then I have uh, two websites, AffirmationSpot.net. Um, there's a lot of great articles about motivation and affirmations and things like that. And then also AATrilogy.com, which is my website for the uh, for the trilogy that I'm working on. Excellent, Ray, and, and I want to echo that that's a ton of good content out there. Um, you know, I'll have the links in the show notes, but you can also find it. Even your affirmations are right up there on the, on the homepage at sixcentsmedia.net. I believe the SoundCloud stuff's there um, for people to check out. So I highly recommend it. Ray, I'm out of time. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and end our conversation here, and then uh, I need to close out the show because uh, I'm exhausted. It's been a long day. So I, I want to thank you. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we'll be in touch real soon, my friend. Thank you so much. You too, my friend. Have a great evening, Ray. You too. Such a great discussion with Ray. I love uh, when I have an opportunity to talk to him and, and get him on the show because I think he he's just a wealth of knowledge, and he, and he grounds me a lot of times with his perspectives and, and tying things in. Um, you know, we covered a lot of good topics and a lot of important topics. Um, and, and don't forget about the affirmations. I really you know, encourage you to check out those affirmations and pay attention to your own internal thoughts and your feelings of what's going on uh, in your own mind. I think that's step number one for all of us because we covered some heavy topics tonight and there's heavy topics going on every single day of our lives. And again, I'm using myself as an, as an example. The past month was really hard for me. I was really down. I was really, really down. I mean, like thinking about what am I doing? Uh, a lot of soul searching, a lot of reflection on this path that I'm on. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing with the show and with Six Sense Media and with my research and my books um, because it's important. It's important to me, and I, and I hope it's important to all of you out there. And sometimes we need tools like the affirmation spot. Uh, you know, to help us get grounded again, to find the strength, to continue to use platforms and tools like Sixth Sense Media and the uh, the research that Ray and I are putting out with our books and with uh, you know our blogs and and, and this show here. Uh, in terms of freedom of speech, it's so important, and and we're watching it being censored. Um, you know, I, I guess the government's back door is through the corporate, uh, you know, through the corporations. So uh, we're going to continue to track that story. And of course, you know, one of my favorite stories to track is, is what's going on with Two the Stars, Lou Elizondo, and uh, the UFO disclosure. There's much more to the story. I think there's much more deception that's going on out there. Um, I, I didn't even address the consciousness stuff that I like to get into as well, but I know that's tied in. They're just not talking about it at this point in time. Um, so be aware of the distractions, my friends. Please continue to support the show. Every like, every share, every comment, uh, it does help the show to grow. And that's exactly what we need. As we're looking at platforms like Alex Jones being taken down, I, I invite you to go to uh, sixcentsmedia.net slash I am human and sign up not only to get your free ebook, but also sign up for the secret newsletter. Because if our platform is eventually targeted, if we have your email addresses, it's one way for us to stay connected to all of you uh, in this. I, I don't want to sell it like, you know, I don't want to sell it like Alex Jones sells it and, and give you fear to have you 
sign up for the newsletter, but I think you will benefit and I think you will enjoy the content that comes out. That newsletter keeps getting better every week uh, as we're developing more and more content to share with all of you. If you want to be a guest on the show, please, I'm looking for guests that want to talk about various things. Um, you know, Please get in touch through sixcentsmedia.net. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Sixth Sense Media, and follow us on Twitter at six underscore cents underscore media. And check out my Instagram page, author Dennis Nappy the second. You'll find the links for it. Uh, up at sixcentsmedia.net on the Secret Podcast page. I'd love for you to follow me there as well. That's all the time I have, my friends. It's been a great show. Thank you to my friend Ray Davis. He's done a great job. Please check out everything that he shared with us this evening. I will be back once again next week, diving deep, trying to dissect reality further down the rabbit hole. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of the Secret Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world, I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep open mind. Thank you.